Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here. There's a lot of folks that aren't here this morning. I don't know. I guess they're out traveling or somewhere here. And uh, we do want to remember them. One couple that I do want you to remember, and I should have mentioned earlier, was uh, Brant and May Lou Holiday. We prayed for his mother last weekend. And she's, just to kind of picture in your mind, she's about the size of Miss Powell. She passed away last night, about midnight. And she's about the same age. She's 90 years old. And um, she'd been going downhill for the last week or so. And um, so we want to pray for them. Then they'll be heading back this way on Wednesday for a doctor's appointment. Or we haven't got, actually got an appointment yet. He wants to get in to see the doctor. So need to be praying for Brant and Maylou Holiday as they travel back. We also, if you haven't met Bo and, and Aaron Russell here, uh, John and Amanda, you're heading out. They're just arriving in town from uh, down, I don't know, would I say Milledgeville? Milledgeville, Georgia. Um, transferred, well, I don't say, were you transferred or just got a job here because you just finished school? Which? Just got a job, okay. He just finished college, just graduated, and has landed a job of all places right here in Chattanooga. And he lives down in Ringgold with his wife, Erin. And so we're glad to have them visiting with us this morning. I met Bo about, I don't remember when that conference was, at Faith Baptist three years ago, I guess. And then about a year and a half or so ago, I went down with Tracy Daniels down to Milledgeville, and there we met with the group that was meeting for Bible study. And there was Bo. <laughs> and so here, here he is this morning. We're glad to have you here. And glad for all those of you that are here this morning as well. Appreciate that. Um, we're looking forward to that fellowship now next next Sunday. So let's don't forget that. And also, I posted on the board, amazingly, you wouldn't think so, but amazingly for our church, uh, I put the, um, the little directory we have out there. And to let's, I want to update that and redo it. So I put it up there so if you... No, like me, I know my email's not on there, and I didn't go by and do it yet, but I did put them up there so you can either scratch something off or write a new phone number in there or email or whatever. If you would update that for us over the next two or three weeks, then um, I think, I haven't talked to her, but I think we could get Miss Mary to re redo that and print it for us. She's probably saved it in your computer. I figured as much. So we'll get that taken care of and get that back up to date and have some new ones available. Yes, that would be good. That's a very good idea. If you don't need any changes, if you don't mind, go by and check it. And yeah, that's a good idea. And then we'll know that we don't have to chase you down and ask you if there's anything that needs to be updated. Good idea. Okay. Well, I can't think of anything else that I was supposed to say this morning. Oh, yeah, update in the heart. I know. There he is. He's about ready to jump on me right back there. He's just waiting like. Ah, oh, it makes me nervous. <laughs> well, I did. I went to the uh, heart spot. Uh, I, all I did was this week, I did go in for an appointment. Um, bounced with you. I said last week I was going in to see the heart thing. You know, I didn't know where I was going for sure, but what it turned out to be, all they was going to do was check my blood to make sure my number with the Coumadin is in the right place. Well, it wasn't. So they upped me by a half a pill. I have a blood clot in my heart, Bo. That's, I just found that out about almost two weeks ago now. So I'm taking some blood thinner for that. 
And uh, I go back in again Tuesday to have it checked again, see how it's going. And then uh, Wednesday, I see the cardiologist. And on Thursday, I see the pacemaker cardiologist. So I got a busy day, busy week this week. And yes, you have to pay them every time you go. Uh, yeah. Not without that. So I'll know something, a little more detail, hopefully by next week, and we'll see what happens there. But um, somebody, everybody's asking me how you feel. Well, I don't feel, honestly didn't know I was feeling bad until they told me, you know. I, I felt I feel the same. I still get tired easy uh, and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just take a nap when I have to, and then I feel good after that. I feel, got tired yesterday. I was trying to go out and help Seth at, and uh, do some work with him, and got tired, and I usually don't get that tired, but I did get tired enough. I went home and took a nap Saturday afternoon. I don't even remember how long I slept, but I'm sure it had to be at least an hour to hour and a half. So consequently, I couldn't go to sleep last night. So I did a lot of studying last night up to about 1230. Then I went to bed, and then I got up five or so this morning and started all over again and had a good, and I had such a good time. I couldn't get, I missed Sunday school. Or I wasn't even here for, you know, until about, it was about a quarter after, I guess, when I got here. I did. My wife was hollering at me, too. So she's saying, we're leaving. You're going to be late. And I was. I knew I was going to be late. But um, my, I have a lot of material. You know how it is. I tell you every time. I have so much stuff I want to cover. And you know how I want. I know. And I just have to sympathize with Mike. Because uh, when he teaches on Wednesday nights. Because one thing leads to another. And uh, it's hard to stop, isn't it? Quit. I mean, you just got, because all these different things start tying together. And it's not just one word necessarily or anything or a phrase, but one phrase will be connected to some other thought. And then those all tie. And then how do you, you think, how am I going to pull all that together? So I do consequently end up doing a lot like Jerry does and a lot like Mike does. I, I just flow the verses together the best I can so we see the connection and see what's being talked about and how it relates to us and where we should be today. And actually, we're going to touch a little bit on last week uh, concerning hypocrisy and foolishness, as it were, in the church and not recognizing and realizing the value and importance of church and the place of teaching, the place of truth, place of what we're going to talk about this morning, the future rest. You've probably thought, well, we've been over that hundreds of times, and I thought so too. But this is where the Lord seemed to land me and give me uh, something that I think I want to share with you this morning and see if we can't come to a, a fuller appreciation, if nothing else, of what the rest in Hebrews is all about. So let's turn, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. And I'm not going to go specifically in order because I want to bring us to a particular thought, if I can do that. So consequently, we'll have to jump around a little bit in order to get there. But I think we can accomplish that in, in the time we've got. Now let's, um, if you would, let's read that first verse. And then we'll move, hopefully through every verse I've got written down here on my, my piece of paper. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. 
For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. And so we've looked at this verse a week or two ago concerning the gospel, that it was preached unto us as well as unto them. And we sought to identify who the them are. And we saw that in the context of Hebrews, it were, the them are, were the people in the wilderness. Israel in the wilderness. Israel, after they had been delivered from Egypt, after they had had the blood applied, after they had been saved, redeemed from Egypt, now they're on the other side. But they're in the wilderness. And he says here, the gospel, the good news, was preached to them at that time. And so we have to look at what the content of that gospel was and the context of this gospel, and it was concerning this rest. And so he tells them then, let us fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, that we should come short of it. Fear that. Fear coming up short. Failing to enter into the rest. Now we might ask ourselves, what is the rest? Well, you know, when you get to studying that word rest, I thought this was going to be a pretty simple thing. But there are many words in translated rest, Old and New Testament. And there are words used to talk about, you know, well, we would say, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your money, the remaining part? There's a word, specific word, translated rest for that. Or you might talk about rest in the sense of, uh, like in First Peter, where he says, spend the rest of your time, the remaining amount of your life. Or there is rest in the sense of when you cease from activity, say you might, Stop your work temporarily to rest. So you're going to take a break. There's that kind of a a specific reference to a rest that is temporary. But there is also a rest that is spoken of that's more permanent, a permanent rest. Or there is a rest that relates to, and these are contextual things, some of these. There's not separate words necessarily for every single one of these. Or, or maybe nuances of the same root word, but a rest that uh, applies to our person. That is, to our spirit, to our soul, and to our body. And so that our mind, our heart, our will, our affections, our, our emotions can be at rest, or repose might be a word that, that some use to describe that. So that I'm... I am content, I am satisfied, I am pleased, I am at rest. Then we have a word like we have here in Hebrews, which is only used here in Hebrews in the New Testament except for one place in the book of Acts, and we'll look at that later on. And this word here in Hebrews is a rest that, if you took it absolutely literally, means a resting place. A resting place. And there is a corresponding Hebrew word that means the same thing, a resting place. And so we're going to examine that just a little bit this morning. But I want us to read that verse 
verse 1, Hebrews 4.1, with that idea in mind. He says, let us fear, therefore, lest a promise being left us of entering into his resting place. Actually, you would say, because there's an article there, it's entering into the rest. You would say, it's entering into the rest or the resting place of him, God. So my point is, is that there is a specific geographical resting place for the people of God. And this good news about this was proclaimed, the writer of Hebrews says, unto us as well as unto those in the wilderness. Now, with that thought in mind, let's go back to, I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 49 and look at a couple things there. In Genesis chapter 49, now you're near the end of Genesis and we're... um, Jacob is on his deathbed and he is pronouncing these blessings and so on and somewhat future prognostications about his 12 sons. And there is an interesting one with the case of his son Issachar in verse 14. Well, actually, it's Zebulun and Issachar. So if we read verse 13, it says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea and he shall be for an haven of ships and his border shall be unto Zidon. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens, and he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. He saw that rest was good. Well, that's our corresponding Hebrew word that implies a resting place a place to settle down, a geographical location. Now, what does that mean concerning Issachar himself? Well, let's... um, Deuteronomy 32.3, excuse me, Deuteronomy 33, and verse 18. Now, of course, the prior generation of Israelites had died off. They're now prepared to move over into that promised resting place, that one spoken of earlier. And in verse 18, it says there, And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. Well, that's interesting. Keep your finger there for just a moment. And where did I write that down at now? See, Oh, there it is, Joshua, chapter 19. Just be a few pages over, Joshua chapter 19. So now you know in Joshua, they've already passed over now. They're in the promised land. Joshua, at the last verse of Joshua 11, says the land rested from war. It ceased. It came to an end. And so there was peace. And in chapter 19, in verses 17 through 22, Joshua 19, verses 17 to 22. And here, we're talking about the allotment of the land. Once the land had had brought rest, then there was the dividing up of the land amongst the 12 tribes. And in verse 17, it says, the fourth lot came out to Issachar. 
for the children of Issachar according to their families, and their border was toward Jezreel uh, and Chezuloth and Shunem and all these other places. I'm not going to read all that. Verse 22, and the coast reaches to Tabor and to Jehazamah and Beth Shemesh, and the outgoings of their border were at Jordan, 16 cities with their village. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Israel according to their families and cities and their villages. Well, if we were to take the time to look at a map, you would find out that this was a very fertile area where Issachar dwelt, a place of agriculture, a place for farming. Whereas we saw that with the prophecy for Zebulun, he was going to live by the coast of the sea. Now, there is no um, biblical basis for this, but some of the Hebrew rabbis taught that from this verse here in Deuteronomy now, back to Deuteronomy 33 and verse 18, taught from this verse that when it says Zebulun in thy going out meant in his commercial trading, that he was a commercial trader and he was the one who was making the money, as it were, as opposed to Issachar in thy tents. Well, they imply from that that he was the one who did the studying and the learning, or possibly he was the one that did the agricultural work. But if it meant studying, they were imply that Issachar, or excuse me, Zebulun funded Issachar so he could spend the time in studying. Now, in case you think that's far out, let's just take a look at First Chronicles chapter twelve for a second. First Chronicles chapter twelve. You're, you're treading on thin ice when you say something like that, but it's not without. It's not totally without merit. Now, in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, verse 32. Now, it says there, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. They had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So whether that's true or not, whether this applies to Issachar, that they were the studious ones, and, and Zebulun was left to make the money to support them, I don't know. That's just speculation on the part of some Jewish rabbis. But the point was, that I make here, is that, that he saw the value of a resting place. Now, let's con- with that whole idea in mind, let's continue on. Back to Deuteronomy now, chapter 12. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, as they were um, as they were preparing now, again, we're back to the shores of the Jordan River. We're back to Israel, preparing to enter into the promised land. And in verse 9, he says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. I don't think that's the verse I want. That's because I'm not in chapter 12. That'll work better if I get over there. I was in chapter 7. How I got way over there, I don't know. He says there, For ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. 
Now, again, that's, that's our corresponding word that means to the resting place, to the inheritance. And, of course, if you want to tie that word there then to the inheritance, then you've got a lot of chasing down to do to recognize the connection between the rest and the inheritance because there is much connection made of the inheritance in the New Testament with the kingdom of God. For example, Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says, if you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, he says you'll inherit the kingdom of God. But if you commit these particular sins here, and he names a list of umpteen of them, there's a bunch of them it seems like, how can you escape those things? He says you do these things, you practice these things, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. By implication, you will not enter into his rest. Well, that's, the same. that's what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 3. He said, you will not enter into his rest. Well, as a matter of fact, that's what happened to Israel in the wilderness. They were not allowed to enter into his resting place. And we see that in Psalm 95. Um, I think maybe you were alluding to that, Jerry, in one of the verses you were looking at there. I think, yeah, I thought you were. In Psalm 95, you might remember, should remember, that in Psalm 95, the last half of this psalm is quoted by the writer of Hebrews in chapter Hebrews chapter 3. And concerning them, he says in verse 10, 40 years long, he says, I was grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. My resting place. Well, what was his resting place? Well, they were the, the new generation was just about ready to pass over into that very place. This generation didn't get to enter in. Well, there's only one place spoken of in which that generation didn't get to enter in but the new generation did, and that was the land of Canaan. It was a specific geographical area, a place that they were going to enter into. Now, Psalm 132. Psalm 132. I want us to see here uh, a reference that's not necessarily to this particular resting place, that is the rest of... Um, of the land of Canaan, nor of the rest that's held out for us specifically or directly. But he says, Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Now he's speaking here about the place where God himself would rest as his resting place. Where would he reside? Where would he be specifically in some geographical location? Well, turn over, well, excuse me, my Bible. I've got to turn over a page. Go to verse uh, 14. If you go, I actually go to verse 13. He says, For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest, or my resting place forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Now, this word forever you might know that there is no word in the Hebrew language expressing 
a specific word expressing time. And this is actually a compound word. It has a, uh, it's used in conjunction with a preposition. And um, if you used to translate it literally, not, well, I'm not even sure what other word you would use, but you, you know, the, the, the um, preposition, that, or excuse, yeah, the preposition that would go with it would be the word till. This, he says, is my resting place till continuing time. I don't know of a good adequate way to express it to you. It doesn't necessarily mean endless time, but from this time forward, this will be my resting place, Zion. Here is where I will dwell. God has chosen Zion, that place in the city of Jerusalem, as his resting place, as the place in which he will inhabit and dwell amongst his people. And that's important for us to recognize that. And, of course, it, it really solidifies what we've been saying and how assuring we have been and continue to be about the nation of Israel, that God yet has a place in his plan for the nation of Israel. And that is the place in that nation in which he will dwell. I think it was last week when you mentioned Psalm, or um, when you were praying, you mentioned about uh, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem because that's the place that God has chosen to dwell amongst his people. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem because we know that when the Lord comes, when he puts down all of Israel's enemies and he determines to reside amongst his people, he has a, he has a spot picked out. He has a place. And he calls it his resting place, his place of habitation. This is the place of my rest. Now, Isaiah 11.10. Now, of course, this is a prophetic passage. In this passage concerning the branch of Jesse, the the. Uh, the uh, rod out of the stem of Jesse should grow out of his roots, he says, and the spirit of the Lord God should rest upon him and so on. And he gives a great description of what that time will be like when this rod of Jesse comes forth. And down in verse 10, at the very end of this passage, he says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his resting place shall be, and literally it's glory. It's a noun. His resting place shall be glory. Now that ought to trigger for us the thoughts concerning what Paul teaches concerning looking for that coming glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of the glory. Now, having all that in mind, Micah chapter 2, Micah chapter 2, and what is it? Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, 
Micah. Yeah, it's right after Jonah. Okay. Got to walk your way through that sometimes if you're like me. Forget where we're at. Micah chapter 2 and verse 10 says, And arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. All I want to show here is how Micah used this word and the fact that it was not, you know, they were in captivity. He was telling them to leave. The place where you are now is polluted. Get back to your homeland. That's, this is not your resting place. So what I'm showing here is that there is a specific resting place defined for us in Scripture. There is a place which is not the resting place for the people of God. And we shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be there today. We should not allow our heart and our soul to rest where it's not supposed to be. I see, that is the hard part. Oh, it's easy to see, teach it. It's easy to believe it. It's easy to read it and say, oh, I see it in Scripture. But have you set your heart apart unto the Lord? You see, that's what Jeremiah, when he cried out and says, circumcise there the foreskin of your heart. God wants a circumcised heart. Matter of fact, man, I don't know. I thought I wrote that down, but I'm glad the Lord allowed me to remember that. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 66. I really wasn't going to go go back, but I am now. Isaiah 66 and verse 1. And two, this, this, we looked at this passage, I don't remember, was it last week, I believe, where he says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is thy throne, or my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all the, that is, where is the, my resting place? The place of my rest. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Oh, you want to build me a house? You want to build me a resting place? I don't mean to sound trite, but it's like God was saying, big deal. That doesn't impress me. I'm looking to the man who has a humble and a contrite heart. A broken heart, meek, tender, willing to be led, willing to be taught, submissive to his spirit, and obedient. Verse 3, he says, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man, and he that sacrifices a lamb is as if he cut off a dog's neck, and he that offers an oblation is as if he offered swine's blood, and he that burns incense is as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways. Were they worshiping God? Were they seeking to serve God? Oh, yeah, they were. But all according to their own ways. They thought, well, surely God will accept this. This will be acceptable to him. And yet, he rejects them. He says, that's not the kind of person I'm looking for. Now, we saw that this was not their rest in the land of captivity, in exile. Back to Hebrews chapter 3 for a moment now. 
Hebrews chapter 3. You know that the word rest is mentioned several times in these, these chapters. But in chapter 3 and verse 11, this is the end of that quotation of Psalm 95. And he says in verse uh, 11, he says, So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. That is the corresponding Greek word that means a resting place. It means the same thing that it meant in Psalm 95, and it means the same thing in these other references that I just shared with you. That it was a specific resting place, a geographical location, which they were not allowed to enter into because of their unbelief. And, and, and by the way, which, he says, we have to hold on to, the confidence. He says in verse 6 of chapter 3, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. That is today, the hope of sharing the glory of God firm unto the end. Hold it fast. Because if you do, then guess what? It'll be yours. It'll be yours as a possession. It'll be a place you can enter into. When you think about the issues of life and the trials of life and the burdens that we carry through life and all the things that we have to face day after day after day, maybe you think that you've gone through life and you just haven't had to face that many issues, that many burdens, that many cares, that many hurts, that many pains. I want to tell you something. There was a day when I thought that just a few years ago. But I surely wouldn't tell you that today. God has brought uh, me, he's brought my family through many a trial and continues to do so. If I would have had all these trials before I understood the nature of the kingdom, and the desire to uh, that we should have to live by faith, I don't know if I could have faced them the same way that I do now. But you see, I, I face them with joy. I face them with gladness. I don't, I don't want to be, um, shoo, I don't want to say, what do I want to say? How, do I, how do I want to say this? Um, I think I shared with you before the idea and the thought that I realized what suffering with Christ would entail and that I had not really experienced that in my life. And I told the Lord, okay, I understand what this is about. I see what the kingdom is. I understand the future rest, the hope of glory. Um, I understand suffering with Christ. Uh, I, I don't understand it from experience. I understand it from your word. But I've never really suffered, Lord. I wasn't a millionaire, believe me. <laughs> but I hadn't really suffered up to that point. But I said, Lord, if, if this is, if I have to do this if, this, if this is a requirement, if this is what it takes for me to be a participant in your kingdom, and this is where I said I was struggling to come up with the proper word. But I didn't, I didn't want to say, I don't, I don't know, this is a good 
vernac uh, what do you call it? Something to say in a vernacular, colloquial term? Bring it on. <laughs> that sounds awful trite, doesn't it? But I just thought, Lord, if that's what it is, if that's what it takes, then bring it to me. I know I won't enjoy it. I know it's going to hurt. But I'm going to determine to face it with joy because now I know why they're coming. And I know why they're here. And right frank with you, it's been one trial after another ever since. It wasn't very many months later that the first one came when I found out I had prostate cancer. And then it's just been one thing after another. So God has strengthened me. He strengthened my family. He strengthened my wife and I together through all of this as we walk through those trials together with, with, a, with a view in mind. That all this is not in vain. It's not without a purpose. But it's because there's a, there's a goal out ahead. And he calls it the rest. And I should strive. Labor, he says, well, we turn over in chapter 4. He tells us right there. He says in verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11, he says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. That is, the same example of unbelief of the original generation of Israel in the wilderness. If we should fall in the same manner in which they did, Labor. Strive. Do this. You know, now Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and ye shall find rest for your soul. It's not the same word there. It's a word that means what I was saying earlier. When you talk about the soul, the mind, the heart, the emotions, the affections, and the will... Those things that make up the man, and he will bring rest to that person. The one that rests in him. The one that takes confidence and repose in the very things that he has promised he will do for us. Well, what do we rest in? The fact that there is a place that he has called us to. And in chapter 3 and verse 1 of Hebrews, he calls it our heavenly calling. A heavenly kingdom. Paul called it a heavenly kingdom. Paul said, he shall preserve me, save me unto his heavenly kingdom. So it's a specific locale. It's not, you know, like, and I don't mean, by the way, that you've got some special cloud up there to float around on. Not at all. It is a specific locale that God has designed as we come to the end of this age and we proceed to the next and what God is going to accomplish in, read verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. You know what? That's not resting place there. It's the word sabbatismos. A Sabbath rest to the people of God. This refers directly back to the kind of rest that God experienced in Genesis chapter 2. When it says at the end of the six days of creation, God rested. 
doesn't mean that he was tired, wore out, and had to take a break or a rest like I did yesterday. It simply means that God was creating for six days and then he stopped creating. That was the end of his creative work. And there is going to come a time and a place when we will cease from our labors. And we will enter into a Sabbath rest. But that Sabbath rest, he identifies as a specific resting place. And that's what I want us to see here. That he is defining very carefully with chosen words the kind of resting place and the place of that resting place. If you look um, back at Acts chapter 7, just for a second. This is the only other place in the New Testament that this word, resting place, is used. And it's a quotation from the psalm that we've already read, or excuse me, from Isaiah that we've already read, in Isaiah 66, where um, Stephen, in his, his message, says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? That is, what is my resting place? Where are you going to build a place for me? But what I want us to see is verses 50 and 51. Hath not my hand made these things, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. So what's the point? He was chiding them, preaching to them concerning an uncircumcised heart. Well, they had all the, they had all the dreams of building a great temple for the Lord a resting place for him, a place where he could reside amongst his people there in Zion, in Jerusalem. And it's like the Lord said, but you think you're going to build me a resting place? When you've got an uncircumcised heart, you're stiff-necked, going through the Pharisaical motions and the Sadducean motions and so forth, and all the other things that Jesus confronted throughout his ministry. And so he's reassuring. Stephen is trying to draw the same conclusion that it's a contrite heart that God is looking for. I look to the person, to the man, who is meek and humble and of a contrite heart. And to these, he says, to these who labor in this fashion, these will enter into my rest. And so we're to labor to enter into that rest and to know and experience all that that rest has to offer to us. And of course, if we were to continue then, if you could just walk right through the book of Hebrews and you got all the way back to Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 13. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to try to quit on time and early like I'm supposed to. Well, not early, but on time. We would find that the conclusion concerning the church of the firstborn. Well, I don't think I can do it without turning over there. I analyzed. 
going back on my word. See if I can find that real quick. It is chapter 12, I'm sorry. In verse 18 of chapter 12, he says, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and, and tempest. Not like the Israelites did, that is, at Mount Sinai. You aren't coming to a mount like that and the sound of trumpet and so on. And he said in verse 21, It was so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But he says in verse 22, You are come unto Mount Zion. Where did the Lord say his resting place would be? Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. This is the company of people. This is the company of God's saints. This is the remnant of the Lord that will possess and be with the Lord in this very resting place. The heavenly Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. So yes, God did have a chosen resting place physically on this earth, in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, at a very specific spot in Jerusalem called Zion. But for those of us to whom the gospel was preached also, when Jesus came presenting his offer of the kingdom of the heavens, he has in store a specific place in the heavens, in the heavenly Jerusalem. And so we must, in order to attain to that, he says, labor therefore to enter into that rest. Strive to. It's something that... that he wants and desires to give. But we have to long for it and work for it. And what could I say? I mean, all that does is lead on to greater questions. Well, how am I going to do that? How could any person do that? How could anybody labor? You know, you talk about those people back there in Matthew chapter 7. They labored and labored and did all these things in Jesus' name. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Workers of wickedness and lawlessness. And were it not before the grace of God and the strength of His Spirit that enables us to do that, we couldn't. But we have that resource to us. We have that resource for us. At our, it's at our disposal. What does he say in chapter 4 of Hebrews? To those who run at the cry for help. We bow at the throne of grace, and he's there just like that. That promise now, that promise in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's verse 16 or 17, that promise there is for the person who's seeking that rest. It's not for the person who got in trouble and says, Lord, I just need to get out of this. Get me away. You look the context. Of all those passages there, and of course specifically chapters 3 and 4, and that promise is specifically for the one who is seeking that, that hope and that place of rest. And I trust that you will make that the focal point of your Christian life.
that it will be the very thing that you're striving for, that it will be at the focus of every thought you have, every word you speak, every action you take. That's where it ought to be for each one of us. That's a whole, as I said, a whole lot easier said than done. But we have, we have each other to help us do that. That's the body of Christ. That's God's assembled people brought together for this very purpose. And I trust and pray that as you come together, as we meet to a church, as a church, as an assembly, as, a, as members of the church of the firstborn, see that you will, you will you indeed not isolate yourself, not withdraw when you have problems, but rather come to your fellow Christian. Let us help you pray. I mean, I want you to pray for me, but I want to pray for you too. And let's do that right now. Our Father, we thank you for this privilege. We pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to understand the value of community as the name of our church implies. That we are members one of another, as Paul tells us, in the body. That there is nothing we can do or go through apart from either being a blessing to someone else or feeling their pain, but also hurting them or doing damage to the cause of Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would um, take those things to heart and that we would rejoice in the good promises of God and what you hold out for us in the future. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.